Imagine if medicine actually looked at you as a whole, opposed to looking at you as a bunch of separate systems. Dive into Integrative Wellness Radio with Dr. Nick and Dr. Nicole to learn more about the top trends in integrative medicine, to learn about what the limitations are with testing and what you can do to start your health journey. Hello, everyone. We are back. So today, specifically, we are talking about toxicity. So we are continuing to talk about toxicity this month. Um, specifically today, we're talking about different types of toxins that are associated with neurological decline, very specifically different toxins that can be associated with dementia as well as Alzheimer's. And I felt that this was really important to cover primarily because this is something that is becoming an epidemic. And it is really, really heartbreaking as so many patients come through my doors and you know they're struggling with their memory and they're really struggling with their mental health but then in addition they are talking about loved ones that they have lost you know due to Alzheimer's but leading up to that from the progression from dementia into the Alzheimer's is really just heart-wrenching to hear about and I really want to give people better information so that they understand that this is not about genetics this is not about being powerless this is not about you know we have no idea where this comes from and this is also not about that a vaccine is gonna one day fix this because when I hear about research that a vaccine is gonna fix Alzheimer's it's one of the craziest things I can't even wrap my head around it because there are so many known factors that are playing a role in our neurological decline and some of those factors is toxicity and when we talk tonight you're gonna realize that there are so many different avenues um, that we are being exposed to toxins that are neurotoxic and unfortunately some of these toxins that we talk about today are in very commonly prescribed medications so I'm here to shed light on this um, so that people have a better understanding of you know some of the things that may be contributing to their current neurological health but also what are the things to know about to avoid so that we don't necessarily end up with that diagnosis down the line and also so that we feel more empowered so we're not just sitting around being like oh when when am I gonna get this when am I gonna develop the dementia because I think that that's where a lot of people are at is they just feel extremely powerless to these conditions Conditions, and they truly believe that genetics are one of the most common reasoning behind the development and tonight we will talk all about how there is so much more to the story and these are different toxins that you potentially are being exposed to right now and also um, these are toxins that you can avoid and primarily I do this because this is something that can be avoided and there is lots of testing out there that exists that can actually give you more information about your neurological system that is really just not necessarily just about MRIs and CAT scans. So with that being said, with my practice, we have definitely evolved over time and it was really by asking better questions and also using better testing. So overall, I work with a variety of different conditions, uh, neurological being one, and by default, I've actually learned a ton about toxicity. And it's primarily because as we started to leverage different technologies, we 
started to uncover that there were different toxins and some of them we've never actually heard of that were playing a very significant role in people's health, but also people's neurological condition. So as we continue to leverage some of these technologies, we got exposed to more and more toxins and we kept kind of continuing to research these different things. And what we realized is that it's not actually just about the toxins that you have been exposed to in your life. It's also the exposures that your mom had, maybe when you were in the womb, or even the toxicity that your mom had through her life that ended up in her tissues that got into the amniotic fluid. So there are many, many possibilities when it comes to toxicity. And the reason why I've realized this as well outside of the technologies is because when I had young children coming in, even as early as four or five months old, you know, these kids being broken out and full body rash or having massive constipation or abnormal bowel movements that are discolored. These parents were like, how has this happened? My kid is so young and they've, you know, they're being breastfed. I'm doing all the right things. Like what possibly can have gone wrong? And as I start to do testing on these kids, I uncover that toxicity is part of the puzzle. And these toxins are obviously not from their personal life experience or life exposures, these are toxins that were potentially in mom's body for many years or things she was exposed to while she was actually pregnant. So overall, the toxins are not always about what you have dealt with and been exposed to in your life, but there is certain toxins that have actually been passed down generation to generation. So this is a really interesting story about mercury specifically. So mercury is one of the most well-known uh, neurotoxins toxins and it specifically compromises the neurons, it causes um, neuro neuronal death. It can be a huge culprit behind the development of dementia, Alzheimer's, Parkinson's, and a variety of other neurological conditions. But what they have said um, or what they've proven in research is that mercury has actually been passed down generation to generation. And the reason being is because back in the day, in the late 1800s, they, most people wore hats top hats specifically. And what they actually used to do to the top hats is they would actually dip them in mercury in order to weatherproof them. So when it was warm out and people were wearing these top hats, mercury becomes uh, liquid. Um, it also has the ability to become vapor as well. But in a warmer temperature, it would start to actually come off of the hat and get into the skin or even the eyes of the person wearing it. So this is actually where the term the Mad Hatter came from, because if the mercury seeped in and started to compromise the neurological system, people would actually go crazy and lose their mind. So when it comes to mercury, this is something that started a long, long time ago and has been passed down generation after generation. And this is one of the primary toxicities that people have fresh out of the womb. So this is definitely something to understand because the common conversation that I have on a day-to-day -day basis when I'm reviewing the toxicities that people have, and they're like, how is this possible? How did I get exposed to this? I've never bleached my hair once. I've actually had this conversation today with a 15-year-old and she's never dyed her hair and mom doesn't use bleach in the house, but bleach was a primary toxicity for her neurological system that was actually causing epilepsy. So this is definitely 
definitely something that is not always super clear, but it takes asking better questions and then you're able to really piece the puzzle together. First and foremost, when I go through all of these exposures and all of these toxins tonight, it is not your fault that you don't know this already. It is not your fault. There is so much information out there. We obviously are relying on physicians to give us the best quality information and to give us a cure. And sometimes that's not happening. And then we you know, try to seek out, how can we figure this out on our own? But we get paralyzed because there's so much information and there's so much conflicting information. So it's not your fault that you haven't necessarily been able to to get where you're trying to go or you haven't been able to help that family member. So it's all about getting quality information. It's about using better testing and it's really about understanding that every single person is different. That if you have two people that have memory loss, dementia or Parkinson's or Alzheimer's, their protocols should not be the same because they are two completely different people and they usually have a completely different root cause as to why why they've developed that condition in the first place. So with that being said, you know, it's not, it's not, you know, I should say our fault or that we haven't been able to understand this. And I say this because there are so many different specialties. And of course, when we are dealing with something like memory loss, Parkinson's, Alzheimer's, dementia, we're usually going to a neurologist and we are expecting that neurologist to understand this condition inside and out. But when we talk about toxicity, that's a toxicologist. And then if we talk about an autoimmune condition that could be associated with the brain, that is going to be an immunologist. So it gets really confusing because we end up working with all these different physicians and they're not necessarily always piecing the puzzle together. And this really brings me to the basic point that a lot of physicians are just completely overlooking basic physiology. And we overlook the idea that most of the neurotransmitters that affect the brain are actually made in the gut. So you could have someone who's dealing with depression, memory loss, or some other type of mental illness illness and they could also be dealing with irritable bowel syndrome but maybe the irritable bowel syndrome isn't bad enough for them to be treating it or maybe their gastroenterologist knows nothing about diet so their IBS is going untreated but then they're also being treated for some type of you know with a an antidepressant or they're being treated for some other type of mental illness when in reality if they were to fix the gut most of those other symptoms would go away so again like I said early on in this is this is not about us looking for the one pill cure or for us looking for the vaccine cure or any even the one dietary cure when it comes to Alzheimer's dementia and other types of neurological conditions these are multifaceted and toxicity can definitely be a player in this but there are other things that we have to consider and those are some of the things that I'm going to touch on in addition to toxicity tonight but when it comes to toxicity guys we are being exposed everywhere. We're being exposed from the food that we eat, from the things that we put on our beautiful landscaping, from tap water to swimming in pools, to our personal products, baby products, furniture. If you live in an old building, you have risk for asbestos and lead. If you live in a new building, you get off-gassing for 20 years from the spray insulation. And then we have dental materials. That's one of our focus tonight is talking about the things that are being put into your mouth that nobody 
is necessarily revealing can be toxic to your brain. And then on top of it, we have cosmetic surgeries. So there are a variety of different types of cosmetic surgeries that we are getting done on a regular basis that can contribute to toxins as well. They've actually found 172 toxins in breast implants. So this is not my opinion. This is not my research. This is clinical research that is being done on massive groups of people. So guys, this isn't necessarily just like, oh, it was a couple of people. These are real life studies that you can find on peer reviewed sites. So some of the biggest things that I see in my clinical practice in relation to neurological decline, again, dementia, Alzheimer's, or even memory loss, DDT. Everybody thinks that DDT is gone, vanished out of uh, the environment. DDT is one of the most known, well known pesticides that they actually stopped using because they found huge correlations to neurological issues and huge correlations to cancer. I still find DDT in people's systems. So when I have my patients that grew up in areas that they would have the mosquito trucks go through the neighborhood and they would chase the trucks. I, I hear this story all the time. They say that we used to chase the truck or we used to ride our bikes behind the truck. Those trucks were releasing DDT back in the 60s and the 70s. So again, going back to the same conversation about the mercury is that much of this is being passed down generation to generation because this is a toxin that burrows itself in our connective tissue and our fatty tissue. The other one is going to be aluminum. Aluminum is something that most of you are putting on your armpits every single day because it's in all of the antiperspirant. It's in canned food, there's aluminum foil, and there are many other avenues of aluminum that we get exposed to. Mercury is in the silver fillings that have been in your mouth. I don't care if they're out. If you had silver fillings in your teeth for even one year, that mercury leached into your tissues. Mercury is in fish especially the people that eat tuna, swordfish, shark, the large fish. Lead, it's not just in lead paint. Lead is in your chapstick. Lead is in your lipsticks. Lead is in most of your cosmetics. Women, go on Think Dirty, the app. It's on there, it'll reveal it. And what's even more fascinating is that when I was at a health food store, there was chapstick um, right at the where the cashier was and it said lead free. And I was like, what? <laughs> and that's actually how I started to research it, that there's lead in most chapsticks. Glutamate toxicity. So this is gonna definitely be from our MSG exposure. Um, MSG is most well known in Chinese food, but most of your pre-packed sauces, condiments, salad dressings. That's when you go to a restaurant, um, especially like a, a chain restaurant, and you're like, I don't understand why my stomach hurts or why I got a headache. I ate so healthy. I got the salad. Most of those prepackaged dressings are going to contain glutamate or MSG, I should say. Botulinum toxin. So botulinum toxin can come from canned foods. It also is the primary ingredient in Botox. Botox is neurotoxic and we are putting it in our foreheads. We need to really rethink some of these cosmetic procedures and the long-term effects of it. Dental, um, I'm gonna go way deep into dental. Another thing that's associated with dental though is 5G and cell phones. So if you have silver in your teeth, within seven minutes of being on your cell phone held to your face, it actually mobilizes the mercury out of your filling and uh, allows it to get into the tissues the glands and the nerves of your face. 
Fluoride. Most of us are getting fluoride treatments with most of our dental uh, checkups uh, or cleanings. That fluoride is going directly into the glands of your mouth, your gums, your nerves, etc., which is very close to your brain. If we have done uh, drugs like ecstasy, MDMA is the other name, Molly, these are neurotoxic. They actually destroy your neurons. Alcohol, um, also ethanol, these are also neurotoxic. And then a very interesting toxin called uh, tetra Tetro, I don't even, tetrodoxin, which is actually from a puffer fish, also a sunfish and this whole family. Not many people are being exposed to this, but don't go to weird islands and eat weird fish. Just don't do that. <laughs> but some of the big ones that a lot of us are doing on the regular, canned tomato sauce. This is really not just canned tomato sauce, but for whatever reason, canned tomato sauce specifically has higher levels of BPA than other types of plastic and other types of prepackaged items. But BPA, a lot of us have heard because we're trying to, you know, look for plastics that are BPA free, but canned tomato sauce. So when you're making your lovely like homemade tomato sauce and it's still coming from a can, please don't do that because you could potentially be getting exposed to this BPA, which is very neurotoxic. Most of the char on your grilled meat is going to be another exposure to neurotoxicity. Peanut butter. Peanut butter contains something called alpha toxins. Peanut butter is extremely toxic. Natural peanut butter versus organic versus jiffy versus whatever. All peanuts grow with alpha toxins. So you have to be aware of overconsumption of peanut butter can very much be toxic to your neurological system. Mercury is in tuna. It is in a variety of other fish as well, but tuna and swordfish are going to be the two most abundant with mercury. I had a patient for a while who was a fisherman and what he told me is that he never fully a swordfish that did not have tumors and primarily those tumors stem from toxicity so this is something that ask ask a friend who's a fisherman they will tell you how many issues are happening with the fish that they're finding plastics inside of the the guts of the fish that they're finding tumors in these larger fish um, they're finding deformities there's very very interesting things happening in our oceans and we really need to be cautious about the fish that we consume one of the big ones is butter flavored microwave popcorn. So this is something that is delicious but extremely toxic. Um, the chemical is called um, diacetyl, and this is something that is actually correlated to popcorn lung, go figure. Um, and it's primarily because it causes irreversible lung damage. This is also the same chemical that is being found in our um, electronic cigarettes and our um, vaping devices as well. So when it comes to this specific chemical, it's not just about the popcorn, it's also going to be about these e-cigarettes and vaping. So we're trying to get away from the cigarettes, but we're exposing ourselves to a completely different chemical that is equally as toxic to our respiratory system, but even more toxic to our neurological system. So another thing that I came across in the event of search, researching all the neurotoxins that we get exposed to was a very interesting neurotoxin um, called sarin gas. 
So sarin gas, um, as I'm researching it, they're kind of talking about it as uh, being a, a germ warfare. So um, they were using it primarily, you know, against other countries to, you know, act as warfare. But what they've actually found is that there was an exposure in literally July 2019, so last month, that there was a scare of sarin gas being or actually being excreted at one of the Facebook headquarters. So this is something that's not like eradicated and not being used anymore. This is something that is still out there and that is being used. So there is potentially an exposure for it. Obviously, it's not as common, but um, I found it very interesting that it was literally last month that there was a run in with this specific gas. So the other big thing that we're going to talk about is different toxins that actually come from different pharmaceutical exposures. And there is a massive, massive list of certain types of pharmaceuticals that have been linked to neurotoxicity. So a lot of them fall under the realm of cancer treatments. And then there is also known toxicity that comes with Adderall and Ritalin. Primarily the neurotoxicity that happens through the Adderall and the Ritalin is because it damages the dopamine neurons. So just so you understand dopamine and how this actually plays a role later in life is if you start to have dopamine deficiencies, this is when you start to have a lot of problems with addiction. So there is now being a correlation with children that are on Adderall and Ritalin that later down the line, they have a lot of issues with addiction. And sometimes these addictions are exercise, but sometimes these addictions are drugs, alcohol, food, sugar, things like that. So we have to really think about the long-term effects of using different drugs that are actually manipulating the chemical pathways of the brain because these can easily be compromising our body's ability to make these different neurotransmitters on our own. If our body loses the ability to make these neurotransmitters, we are going to have issues down the line. And that could be addiction, it could be depression, which can then obviously lead to more serious things like suicide. And unfortunately, that is becoming so much more prevalent right now is, you know, you're hearing about these kids that are, you know, committing suicide. And it's literally just like heart wrenching because the statistics are higher than they've ever been in the past. So when it comes to different pharmaceuticals, I kind of broke these down. Um, and this is not again, my research, these are peer reviewed articles that I was able to pull this information from, but some of the highest risk for neurotoxicity was two different drugs. This is like the highest risk of these two drugs. One is called uh, vincristine, also known as vinblastine. This is specifically used for as a chemotherapy drug in pediatrics. So this is really not supposed to be used unless there is no progress with any other types of treatments. But overall, what they've actually found is that it's going to create massive peripheral neuropathies, which pretty much means you're going to have a lot of nerve damage in your arms and your legs, and even nerve damage to the nerves that go to your organs. So in addition to that, there is another category of drugs um, that are specifically used again for as a chemotherapy 
drug called Taxols. And there's all different kinds, but they've specifically been associated with neuron death. So literally causing neuronal death. And once the neurons have died, they do not come back. So we really have to think about, you know, what are the long-term effects of some of these different drugs that are being used? Um, I know that in many cases, these chemotherapy drugs are being classified as life-saving, but what if this person ends up being a vegetable? And, you know, what if there are other ways to look at the big picture as to why the cancer developed in the first place? And how can you actually work on the foundation of getting the body to a healthier place, getting the immune system to a healthier place? Because these specific chemotherapy drugs are literally being classified as neurotoxic and highly neurotoxic. So some of the other um, specific neurotoxins that were associated with uh, medications, there is a very, very long list, but I specifically wanted to point out some of the things that I see most often and some of the drugs that I often see people coming, or I should say people coming in with symptoms that report that they have taken certain drugs that were very in close correlation to when the symptoms started. So one of those is definitely going to be in the relation of certain antibiotics um, in the fluoroquinolone family and then other antibiotics known as flagell. But some of these specific drugs are, um, one of them is called arsenic trioxide. Arsenic, primary constituent in this drug is arsenic. Arsenic is one of the most known neurotoxins and it, this is actually associated with leukemia. There are other drugs that are being used for multiple myeloma that are being connected to actually breaking down some of the major enzymes that run your neurological system. So again, these are drugs that are potentially solving one problem, but they are causing a variety of other problems. So we really have to think further about this, but some people just need to be, be aware of this. There are many people that are going through different types of cancer therapies, multiple myeloma therapies, etc., that are not necessarily being told about the other side of how this is actually going to damage their neurological system. The fluoroquinolone family, uh, this is your Leviquin, guys. This is your Cipros. Um, these are antibiotics that are being given out quite often. And these specifically are not, they not only break down connective tissue, which is why Leviquin one of the most uh, well-known side effects is rupturing your Achilles tendon. Your Achilles tendon is literally the strongest tendon in your entire body that this medication has the ability to break that down enough that you it could tear and rupture. So in addition to that, this is also being now associated with insomnia, seizures, convulsions, psychosis, and also um, polyneuropathy. So these are all different versions of neurological damage. Nitroferonic is one name, but also known as Macrobid. Macrobid is definitely an antibiotic that should be used as a last resort, but this is very, very toxic to the carbohydrate metabolism of the brain. So our brain runs on glucose. So if you break down the ability for your brain to use glucose, your brain gets zero fuel, which means you are going to have memory loss. You're, start, you're going to have short-term memory loss, long-term memory loss. You're going to have brain fog. You're going to then potentially be at risk for the development of things like dementia and Alzheimer's. So just a simple round of an antibiotic can actually completely compromise your neurological system. I know somebody's asking about birth control. Birth control is not neurotoxic, but 
but birth control depletes your folate and your B vitamins. So if you get depleted of your folate and your B vitamins, you actually um, are missing most of the precursors to how your brain makes serotonin, dopamine, acetylcholine, all of your neurotransmitters. So just to kind of keep it really simple, if your your brain kind of goes from um, amino acid to amino acid. So if you eat turkey and your body gets exposed to tryptophan um, through the turkey, then that tryptophan eventually gets converted into serotonin. But it needs things to convert into serotonin. Some of the things that it needs is zinc, folate, and B vitamins. So if you're missing those items, then you can't make that conversion. And that's going to be one of the reasons why you have lack of serotonin and potential depression. So this is definitely something that's important because a lot of medications that we take outside of what we're talking about today with like these medications that I'm talking about on this, these are toxic to your neurological system, like literally causing damage to your brain. Then we talk about other medications that just deplete most of your nutrients and then that has issues with the neurological system, but in a different way. It's because now your brain doesn't get the nutrients that it needs to fire properly and to also produce your hormones that help with your memory and the hormones that help with your mood and the hormones that help with your energy. So there's many factors to be considered when it comes to the side effects of certain medications. So Lexapro was another question. So when it comes to Lexapro, Lexapro is an SSRI. So what this is doing is it's it's um, shutting down the reuptake of serotonin. So let me just like try to make this as simple as possible. Is that you have serotonin that gets produced in your gut. You also have um, aspects of your brain that produce serotonin. So then you could have a bunch of serotonin floating around, but your receptors have to pick it up. And those receptors pretty much use the serotonin and help you to feel good. So the concept of an SSRI is okay. If if you produce, if you have all the serotonin floating around, then the receptors are going to pick up more and more. But normally what happens is if you have this excess serotonin, it gets recycled. It gets reuptake by other glands, by the synapse. So it shuts down that reuptake and it just allows for a boatload of serotonin to float around. But the thing is, is that if you have a boatload of serotonin floating around, it doesn't necessarily mean that the receptors are going to use it. In addition to that, if you have too much serotonin floating around, that actually makes you anxious. That's why they have something called serotonin syndrome. And serotonin syndrome is thought to be like this extreme set of symptoms, but most of my patients that I work with have some level of serotonin syndrome, especially if they've been using um, different types of SSRIs or MAO inhibitors. So we really need to think about these things can be used in the short term to really help us, you know, get over that hump. But when we use it over the long term, we create, we could potentially create this excess of serotonin, which starts to make us anxious. But in addition to that, you also start to compromise your body's ability to make serotonin on its own. Think about it. If you have a bunch of serotonin floating around, your brains or your body is going to be like, whoa, where'd that come from? 
come from? Well, I should stop making it because there's extra. So it creates a negative feedback loop. Um, and this is very common with a lot of different types of medications outside of just SSRIs. So some of the other major things that came up in some of these different neurotoxins is there is actually one of the drugs is a specific drug that was actually marketed to um, pregnant women to help them with sleep. And this was actually then linked to a variety of birth defects and malformed limbs. So the interesting thing is that they stopped giving it to pregnant women, but they actually still use the same drug in, conju in conjunction with dexamethasone, which is a steroid for the treatment of leprosy, which is a skin issue and multiple myeloma. So again, guys, we're using these medications to help to treat, you know, one condition, but then we are creating massive toxicity to the neurological system, which is literally the most vital system because it controls everything. If you don't have your brain, you really don't have anything. So we really need to be our own advocates and research the drugs that we are on. And we need to research the drugs that we are being recommended because, you know, people are going through the devastating diagnosis of cancer or multiple myeloma. And then they are going into fear-based mode and they're like, let's kill it. We need to kill it. We need to handle this. We're going to do, we're going to pull out the big guns. We're going to, we're going to deal with this and we're going to beat it. And then you unfortunately watch these people have then a variety of other issues down the line. And a lot of it is neurological based or tons of scar tissue and pain from radiation um, or a very compromised immune system. So no matter what you choose is you have to really seek out your next step. If you're going to go through chemotherapy, if you've gone through chemotherapy, if you've gone through radiation, if you've gone through any of those therapies, you need to be able to then fix the damage that was done by those different therapies. And that's really a matter of working with a practitioner that that is their specialty of looking at everything, looking at the big picture of your body. You know, what needs to be repaired? Is it your immune system? Is it your gut? Is it your lymph nodes? What is it? Because there is no possible way that you do not have residual damage from these types of drugs. So one of the things that I talked about early on, I talked a lot about toxicity. And one of the primary things that I mentioned was mercury and mercury being an exposure from fish, being exposure from the silver fillings that are in your mouth. But in addition, we're also dealing with other types of metals that are associated with neurotoxicity. So um, one of the actual most well-known pesticides that are being used is called methyl bromide. And methyl bromide is not only damaging our ozone, but it's also creating toxic brain syndrome. This has been proven in quite a few different cases is if you're being exposed to this specific pesticide, and this could be from living near a farm, or it could be from food exposures, that this is actually creating a very specific type of inflammatory process in the brain due to this compound. And then the other major metals that we need to be aware of is going to be lead, um, arsenic. Arsenic is on most of your rice, by the way. So if you're the person who went gluten-free and now you eat tons of rice and you eat kind bars that have tons of brown rice syrup, you potentially could be getting exposed to arsenic from those, uh, from those sources. And then another one too that is classified as toluene. Toluene is um, in all of our uh, nail polish. It's in a lot of our hair dyes. It's in our keratin treatments. It's in a lot of these different personal products that we are using. So toluene is something that is very, very present in the beauty industry, but the long-term exposures or high dose exposures is going to definitely be linked to slow neurological decline that later down the line ends up with 
something like dementia. So again, this is very, very important for you to be proactive now so that you are not necessarily just ignoring the fact that you're 30 or younger and you can't remember anything or you know you feel like you have brain fog or you're forgetting childhood memories. Guys, these are all a sign. They are a sign that there is something wrong and it's a sign that allows you to be proactive now so that you don't necessarily end up with something more serious down the line. I talked a lot about certain pesticides, one of them being glyphosate. Glyphosate is the primary chemical that is on most of our food, but it is the primary ingredient in Roundup. And glyphosate, uh, what they're finding, again, it's Roundup that is that we're using on our lawns and to kill weeds, but glyphosate is the primary chemical that's being used on most of our produce, especially our genetically modified produce. So if you go to the store and your uh, label on your produce starts with a four, that's genetically modified, just so you know. Um, if it starts with a nine, it's actually organic. It's very easy to be tricked because most of your stores do not carry only organic. Most people think that Whole Foods is only organic. It is not. They have a variety. They have um, organic. They have uh, gen genetically modified. They have conventional. So you need to start looking at those labels. But regardless, what happens is when you have the glyphosate exposure, which unfortunately most of us do, um, and then you also have mercury exposure from say the fish or the fillings in your teeth. And then you also have aluminum exposure, which comes from your deodorant, or I'm sorry, your antiperspirants. It's also coming from aluminum cans. It's also coming from aluminum foil. All of those work synergistically together and it actually becomes extremely, extremely neurotoxic. So it's not about just one of these items, but when they all get together, that is when we are going to start having major, major issues with our neurological system. And one of the most interesting studies they've just done is that the combination of aluminum glyphosate and fluoride, this combination together actually creates false messaging in the brain. And this is when we challenge truths and believe lies. It's almost like some of these compounds have allowed us to become more docile. And when we, when, you know, you're, you're sitting there being told, Hey, this is good. You know, McDonald's, if you eat McDonald's every day, it has nothing to do with your gut hurting or eat McDonald's every day. And it has nothing to do with you developing ulcerative colitis. That's like, in reality, if you were to sit back, like that doesn't make any sense especially because they've done, they've shown that you can have a burger from McDonald's sit out for 20 years and it doesn't even get moldy. The bread doesn't get moldy. The meat doesn't get moldy. The pick pickles don't get moldy. It doesn't get moldy. Like that's not real food. That's plastic or whatever else it could possibly be. But if you're just being told like, oh, that's all, that's healthy for you. Yeah, maybe it'll uh, cause you to gain weight, but it actually has nothing to do with your chronic illness or your chronic inflammation or your chronic gut issues. That's what I'm talking about. It's like being like, oh, okay, great. But then, oh, if you eat broccoli every day, then that could help your gut. No, 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 that's not even possible. So they've actually proven this through certain studies that it is actually manipulating the pathways of the brain in order for us to just kind of like not use common sense anymore.
anymore. Let's put it that way. So there are very strategic ways that you can help to get this out of the body. I do not recommend usually doing this on your own because if you start, you know, detoxing from glyphosate and aluminum and mercury, you can easily have some really negative reactions. I highly recommend doing this under the supervision of a practitioner. But in addition to that, when it comes to the glyphosate, if you have ever been um, done some type of stool sample or you've done some type of testing for your gut and it's actually showed that you've had high levels of salmonella or you've had high levels of clostridium, including if you've ever been diagnosed with something called C. diff. C. diff is the um, bacteria that causes chronic diarrhea that actually can cause you to get so dehydrated that you can die from it. High levels of clostridium and high levels of salmonella have actually been tied to uh, glyphosate toxicity of the gut. So this is not always about kill, 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 get rid of the bad bacteria. Sometimes it's about detoxing the glyphosate residues out of your gastrointestinal system. So one of the other things that I wanted to mention here that's more from a bacterial family is there is actually a very big connection with certain types of bacterias, fungus, and even algaes that are associated with neurotoxicity. So there is a very specific type of cyanobacteria. It's called BMAA. And we get exposed to it from like ocean, soil, lakes, things like that. But we can also get it from ingesting shellfish because shellfish are the filter feeders. So this is something that um, is specifically been uh, known to create neurotoxicity, especially if we get exposed to it in high amounts. So again, this is not necessarily for you to live in fear of what you're eating and swimming in oceans, but it's more so if you're immune compromised, you are obviously a lot more susceptible to this. But I also wanted to make note of this is because Fry Labs, F-R-Y, um, they specifically have just come out of doing two studies. They've been doing these studies over the past, I think, eight years. The, the one study isn't even fully released just yet, but they gave us uh, some insight as to what the study has revealed and pretty much what they've found is that when it came to multiple sclerosis patients, that there was a huge correlation to fungus uh, being what was the, or what was causing the neurotoxicity. So fungus can be from mold. It could be from uh, overconsumption of antibiotics. It could be from certain foods that are high in mold, like wheat, and cheese, especially like blue cheeses um, and peanuts and peanut butter. And then they also found a high correlation with ALS, Lou Gehrig's disease, that was actually connected to algae. And this algae was um, algae that the exposure comes from water and lakes. So I found this to be very, very interesting because, you know, these are different types of um, things we get exposed to in our environment that are connected to some of these chronic illness and neurological degeneration that, again, we're being told, oh, we have no idea why this happens and we have no idea really how to treat it other than um, shutting down your immune system. So with that being said, there is a huge connection to these the fungus and the algae. What it does first is it colonizes the vascular system. So then it colonizes the vascular system and as the blood goes up into the brain, that's how it gets carried into the neurological system. So this is not, again, just about these chemicals that can create neurotoxicity 
neurotoxicity, there are also infections that can cause neurotoxicity. So with all of that, just so you're not completely devastated and living in fear now, moving on from this, is that your body is equipped to deal with toxins. Your body is equipped to deal with fungus and algae and all of these things, especially when it comes to fungus and algae. Like these things have been in our environment for thousands of years. So why is it being connected to chronic illness now? It's being connected to chronic illness now because our systems are being so overly burdened by so many different things. And this is in combination to all of our technology, the Apple watches, the Fitbits, the AirPods or whatever they're called, the wireless headphones, our houses are techie, our refrigerators talk to us, our cell phones are mini laptops. We are constantly being bombarded by technology and we don't always understand things that we can't see. So we think that all of this technology is completely benign. But what they've actually found is that fungus mold will actually multiply by 600% per week with the exposure of Bluetooth, cell phones, routers, all of that. So if you end up getting exposed to some type of fungus from your environment or from antibiotics, then you're wearing your Apple Watch on your body all day long and you sleep with it and you work out with it and everything else, then you potentially are causing the colonization of that mold within your own body. So this is definitely one of the layers. Then on top of it, we're dealing with an overly burdened immune system, They're not just coming from our food, they're coming from our personal products, they're coming from our, our houses, our furnitures, they're coming from drugs, they're coming from everything. So we're getting hit left and right with all these different toxins and our immune systems are like, what the hell is going on? And it's pretty much just getting to the point that the immune system can't do what it once did. And I will tell you how this looks in a real life person. So whenever it is young, they go out and have a couple of drinks and they feel fine. And then, you know, they wake up the next day, they can wake up and go to class or go to work and they're great. Then you start to get older and now you're like, oh gosh, I had two beers and now I'm hungover for three days. So that's not because you're getting old. That's because your liver is less resilient than it used to be. And your liver is one of many different, uh, detox pathways of the body. So when it comes to the liver, the kidneys, the lymph nodes, the gut, all of those are the pathways that get the bad stuff out. And then what you're looking at here is these are the pathways that are associated with detoxing your brain. You have a whole separate lymphatic system, like an immune system for your brain. But if that immune system is overburdened and your detox pathways are not working, then your brain can't detox. And if you're the person who's waking up in the morning with a low-grade headache, or you wake up with post-nasal drip, or you have sinus issues, those are all signs that your brain is not detoxing. If you have vivid dreams, those are all signs that your brain is not detoxing. So it's really, really significant to understand that our bodies are designed to get rid of the bad stuff, but sometimes we need help. We need to use specific testing and specific strategies to get our bodies to a place that it can be resilient again. And that unfortunately doesn't always result in just making a dietary change or just taking a 
a few supplements, especially if you are that person that you have brain fog, memory loss. Maybe you are waking up with a low grade headaches. Maybe you suffer from migraines. Maybe you suffer from high blood pressure. Maybe you also deal with, you have glaucoma, the early onset of glaucoma. Those are all signs that your brain is not detoxing, but your brain cannot be detoxing because of vascular issues. It cannot be detoxing because maybe you have really clogged up tonsils. It could not be detoxing because you have had whiplash and, or you've had head injuries and your cervical spine, your neck is messed up, or you have a bunch of scar tissue in your head because you played hockey or football. So these are all things that have to be taken into consideration that not a dietary change or a supplement are gonna necessarily fix. This is also piggybacking off of what I've already just mentioned. So when we're talking about like what makes up the filters, what makes up the immune system, what makes up our ability to get rid of the bad stuff, it's your tonsils, your adenoids, your lymph nodes, your lymph nodes in your armpits, your appendix, your spleen, all of those things help you get rid of the bad stuff. In reality, think about how many people have had their tonsils removed, adenoids removed, how many people have lymph nodes removed, how many people have their, had their appendix removed. We're getting these organs removed because we say that they're, you know, they don't really serve that much of a purpose when in reality, those are all aspects of our immune system. So if you have a child who was literally, you know, five years old that had their tonsils were so bad that they had to have them removed, that compromises their brain's ability to detox. So one of the questions is how do you detox your brain? There is a lot of things that have to be taken into consideration for how to detox your brain. You have to factor in how well is your circulation? Is there any blockages in your circulation? Do you have a bunch of congested lymph nodes in your neck that are causing the inability for the brain to drain? Do you have sinus inflammation? Do you have dental issues? Do you have toxins in your mouth? that are affecting your brain? Um, do you have bad posture? Do you have neck injuries? Do you have scar tissue? Because everybody's brain's gonna detox in a different way. And it's gonna detox based off of what is going on in the first place. So it's definitely not the easiest question to answer without you know the specific specificities of that person specifically. So speaking of dental, one of the things that can play a very significant role in your brain's ability to detox is actually the shape of your palate. If you are a person who had to have a lot of teeth removed because of crowding in your mouth, you probably have a small palate. Um, and a small palate is going to definitely make it a lot more difficult for your brain's ability to detox. So um, sometimes, and this is obviously in a very, I don't want to say severe case, but this is really a last resort if somebody is not able to get better. But it's really being able to have them work with a specialist that can evaluate does their palate need uh, an expansion um, I've actually had uh, younger individuals that have had palate expanders and they've had them primarily because of um, for orthodontic reasons and that actually helped um, their brain tremendously so another big thing too is dental cavitations so with that when it comes to a dental cavitation um, this is when somebody pulls your tooth out and it could be a wisdom tooth or it could be another tooth it gets pulled but they don't remove the ligament called the periodontal ligament which then doesn't allow for the area to heal and that becomes an area where bacteria will, will pull. So if you've had teeth pulled on the top, on 
the other side of your jaw is going to be your sinus. So I've had many patients that have had infections or abscesses that have developed where their tooth was pulled that then pushed into the sinus, which then circulated into the brain. So it's very, very important to take into consideration root canals, tooth being pulled, dental infections, even if your gums bleed. These are very, very, very important things to consider. For those of you that went and got all of your silver removed, all your silver fillings because you know you heard that that was bad and then you got it replaced with your white fillings. Unfortunately, the white fillings have their own problems. The white fillings have cadmium in them. The other thing about the white fillings is they time release fluoride. So um, this was actually new information to me that happened over the past few months that all white fillings contain time-released fluoride. So overall, I'm not going to sit here and say that every single person that has dental implants or uh, bridges or other types of implants or compounds in their mouth that every single person is dealing with brain toxicity. But it's very, very important that if you've had a lot of dental work, that this is being taken into consideration, especially Especially if you are living in fear of the development of dementia because you're having such significant um, memory decline. Um, and also too, there are safe materials that exist, uh, ceramic, zirconia. These are compounds that are specifically going to be used by biological dentists. They're not being used by your traditional dentist. So if you are someone that has a lot going on in your mouth, you really need to consider working with a biological dentist in order to improve that. My one disclaimer is that uh, when you're dealing with dental issues is that you can go and get all of your dental issues taken care of, but if you have a lot of issues with your sinuses, your tonsils, and the lymph nodes in your neck, because you always have swollen glands, you might have adverse reactions because your body's ability to detox might not be working at its best. So you always have to take that into consideration of how well is my lymphatic system actually working, again, your detox system, uh, before you go and start having a bunch of dental work. Something else too, for those of you that do have a lot of compounds in your mouth. There is something called oral galvanism. If you have um, different types of metals next to each other, um, like if you have a mercury silver filling and then you have a gold implant or a gold cap next to each other, that can actually create electrical current. And that electrical current can dramatically impact your brain because your brain is electrical. And really the same thing goes if you have different types of implants or metals in your mouth and you are using different types of technologies like your wireless headphones or you're constantly on your phone. Um, you could easily be heating up these different metals and causing them to release vapor into your neurological system. So a lot of us would assume, especially if we're dealing with neurological issues, that we've had the best testing. We would assume that an MRI is going to give us the best amount of it or the um, best information. We would assume that a CAT scan would give us good information. If you haven't uh, realized at this point is you need to look at toxicity. You need to look at infections. You need to look at mold. You need to look at auto immune conditions attacking the neurological system. You need to look to see if gluten is creating a neurological response because gluten, it's not just about your gut. It's also about your neurological response to gluten. And then in addition, you also have to look at your um, meridians. You know, there are a lot of meridians that um, connect 
into the neurological system. And there is a lot of associations with meridians that tie your gut to your brain and your kidneys to your brain and your heart to your brain. So sometimes this is not necessarily always just a infectious toxicity issue. Sometimes there is more to it when it comes to meridians. Meridians, um, just so you kind of have a basic framework, um, that's actually the foundation of acupuncture is helping to remove blockages in the meridians, which is more of an energy medicine. So um, meridians can become compromised for a variety of different reasons, but you need to take that into consideration so you're not you're not missing anything essentially. And I would say one of the most unique technologies that we have as well is um, acute EEG. Most people have had exposure to EEGs, especially if they've had a history of any type of um, seizures, but there is a more advanced technology called a quantitative EEG, which actually maps out the brain. Helps you to understand what parts of the brain are overactive, what parts of the brain are underactive, and it also um, it allows to utilize a therapy called neurofeedback that actually can help to balance out the hemispheres. So this is very, very interesting because this actually gives you a map of your brain and how it's functioning. So going back to the dental conversation, I thought that this was a really significant thing to um, to add in here from a case study perspective is that um, I specifically worked with a patient who uh, came to me with the early onset of Parkinson's with hopes to obviously prevent the progression. And when we started to talk a bit more and we started to really talk about the timeline of the onset of some of the symptoms, which then obviously led to the diagnosis, is that um, it was really about three months prior to the onset of the tremors and some of the other neurological issues that um, he had about 10 amalgam fillings removed out of his mouth. And this was done by a traditional dentist. It was not done by a, a holistic or a biological dentist. So in the event that you go in and you start to either crack or remove those fillings, they are going to release vapor. And when you look at how it's supposed to be done properly, both the dentist and the patient are supposed to be wearing what's almost equivalent to a hazmat suit. And if they are not, they are both being exposed to that mercury. And mercury, again, being one of the most neurotoxic compounds that are out there. So this was specifically a person that the onset of their neurological decline was very much associated with mercury that was uh, released from a dental procedure. So again, this is very very, very significant and it's really something that we need to be careful with and we need to educate ourselves with. So when it comes to how can we improve the brain, it is just, there's so many factors to be considered, but this is really, you know, just trying to give you some general recommendations balance your blood sugar, eat breakfast. You have to eat breakfast. If you don't eat breakfast, your blood sugar is going to be on a roller coaster all day long. And I promise you eating something as small as a hard boiled egg is going to actually dramatically improve your blood sugar. And when you eat breakfast, it has to be protein. Don't eat waffles. Don't eat cereal. Don't eat crap. Don't eat sugar. Get more oxygen. Breathe. Nobody breathes. So when you go to like a yoga class and you're like panting or you try to do like, if you ever got a Qigong, Qigong, they're very big with breath. And then you start to realize like, holy crap, I don't breathe, breathe. Literally take some time to take some deep breaths in through the nose, out through the mouth. And then obviously another way you can get more oxygen is through um, exercise, being able to do some type of cardiovascular exercise. So many of us are sedentary and sitting around and we're tired, I get it. But once you get into that exercise and you start to release more of those endorphins which are so beneficial to the brain, you start to feel less depressed and more motivated. So trying to do 
some type of movement that can give you more oxygen. Eat better fats, stop being scared of egg yolks, stop being scared of butter. Um, obviously choose better quality, try to get pasture raised eggs and get yourself grass fed butter. But uh, two thirds of your brain is made of cholesterol. So when we go on these low fat diets or you know we, we start taking statins that are decreasing our cholesterol, we are actually compromising our neurological system. Eat organic, so you're not getting exposed to things like the glyphosate and 262 other chemicals that are on our foods nowadays. Uh, stop using antiperspirant. All of your antiperspirant, your Dove, your Secret, Axe, all of them, they all have aluminum in them. Stop using it because the, uh, the lymphatic chain that goes into your armpits, that connects all the way up into your neck, into your neurological system. Raise the headboard of your bed. If you raise the headboard of your bed by putting a couple of books underneath the headboard and your bed is on the slightest bit of an incline, even if it's two inches, that will actually help your brain detox when you sleep. If you're actually looking for more information on this, you can actually check at our website, we have more information on this. Improve your sinuses. If you cannot breathe, your brain cannot detox. So being able to have and you know the strategy that's best for you to get your sinuses working. That doesn't mean Flonase, that doesn't mean any of those types of um, nasal sprays. It's actually using maybe an oil of oregano nasal spray or using something called nasal clear, which is another type of nasal spray that's extremely helpful. Get the toxins out of your mouth um, or stop putting toxins in your mouth, I guess I should also say. So um, again, I would definitely say get your body checked before you actually seek out um, doing anything with your dental composites, implants, metals, because you don't want to make yourself more sick by uh, by doing that. Sweat. This obviously goes back to or, um, the oxygen and the exercise. You need to sweat. If you're not sweating, you're not detoxing. So getting your body temperature up is very, very important. Learn something new. Exercise your eyes. These are two things that are really, really significant with improving your brain. Learning something new. We get so redundant in our day to day. We go to work. We do the same thing. We cook the same thing. We watch the same shows. And we're never necessarily activating new pathways in the brain to learn something new. And then exercising your eyes. If you wear glasses or contacts, take them out for a period of time. Stress your eyes, work them. Try to really, um, you know, make your eyes do movements and exercise them in a way that they're not used to being exercised. If you're constantly using or wearing your glasses and using your contacts, you're not actually pr like promoting the proper stimulation and muscles of the eye eyes to actually improve them. And your eyes are connected to your brain. So if you haven't figured it out yet, I'm here to tell you, you don't know what you don't know. It's impossible for you guys to know this unless in, unless you've listened to my webinars, number one. Number two is your testing is not revealing this. You're not necessarily going through the conventional uh, medical model and they're testing you for all these different types of toxins. You know, they're pretty much, they're not even acknowledging that that's a possibility. And then we're being left to have very limited um, solutions when it comes to memory loss, dementia, Alzheimer's, et cetera. So we really need to stop thinking that these conditions are based on bad genes and we need to just stop accepting the normal. And I mean that for especially the younger individuals that are like, oh, I can't remember anything. Oh, I'm super foggy or, oh, I can't function without my Adderall. Those are all signs that you have early onset neurological decline. I hate for it to sound that scary, but that's the reality of it. And I know that for me, I was very much on that track and I'm just very fortunate that I got into this industry and was able to figure it out before it became a bigger problem. But I very much so, I think that I potentially could have been in very big trouble at this point because I have, you know, figured out I had mercury over 10 years ago now. 
and I was able to successfully detox from it. But you know, I don't know where I would be now because not only did I was I able to get it out of my body, but I, then I was also be able to reflect on my lifestyle of holy crap, you need to pump the brakes on all this fish that you're eating because this is part of the exposure. So the biggest thing about this too, this information is that you know, dementia, and Alzheimer's, they don't always look like the textbook. They you know they don't always map out to be you know the same symptoms for everyone and if the symptoms don't look the same for everyone then why would the treatment look the same for everyone so we need to really start considering what is the root cause I work with so many patients with multiple sclerosis memory loss early onset dementia some of it is uh, blood sugar instability there are so many factors to be considered and sometimes it's one of those things sometimes it's combination of those things so every single one of those people need to be treated differently and then once you're able to know what your body needs that's when this truly becomes a breakthrough experience so I really hope that all of you can experience that at some point with your health of being able to you know really just feel good um, I think a lot of us forget what it's like to feel good um, or don't even really know what that means anymore but everyone deserves that and we also deserve to live a life that we enjoy and not live in fear of what our parents got or live in fear of you know what our genetics tell us there's so many factors that contribute to genetics being turned on or off and um, just because you have a gene does not necessarily mean that you are going to be doomed to get that condition so if you're looking for any more information um, about us as well as even tons of podcasts I know that somebody asked mainly on Instagram about how to detox the brain we actually just put out a couple of podcasts about the brain one was about the cardiovascular system of the brain and how it's tied to like migraines and headaches and then we also talked a lot about um, melatonin being a master detoxifier of the brain so if you're looking for a bit more information um, about the logistics on their neurological system and how you can strategically detox of course under the supervision of doctor you could definitely check out those podcasts and we give you a lot of amazing insight there so lots of good information to come um, so definitely keep an eye out and I will see you guys next month we thank you for being a listener and subscriber to Integrative Wellness Radio. If you're looking to learn more about Integrative Wellness Group as well as Dr. Nick or Dr. Nicole, you can check out integrativewellnessgroup.com.